I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Levin. I'm a grief therapist and the founder of From Grief to Growth, the host of the podcast Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death, and I'm the creator and author of the Growing After Traumatic Loss course. I provide support, guidance, and teachings to help you with the aftermath of chaos, trauma, and grief. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast, I interview Mark Davidson, whose father was murdered on the island of Belize. Mark and his family live in Pasadena, California, and he was returning home from a business trip when he learned about his father's death. In his interview, Mark is going to share his story and describe what it was like to travel back and forth across international borders to say goodbye to his dad and sort through his belongings. He shares with us how he processed his grief, how he has changed, and what it has been like to share his dad's death with his young son. Mark has found a way to remain connected to his father in his new business where he provides immersive marine education and he describes to us how the ocean helps him feel close to his dad. Okay. So I'm here today with Mark Davidson. And Mark, let's get started. Why don't you tell, um, tell me a little bit or tell our viewers, or our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Um, uh, Mark Davidson, I was born and raised in South Africa or two British parents in the late 1970s. Um, grew up with an older sister and I lived in South Africa for 21 years before moving to the States for graduate school in New Jersey, um, where I, I received a PhD, um, met my wife there, uh, who's a neuroscientist. Um, my background is in microbiology and geochemistry. Um, and then my wife and I moved out here to California in 2008. Uh, I joined an environmental consulting firm initially and worked there for more than a decade. Um, and then for the last three and a half years, I've been trying to start my own business right now where I'm technically an underwater filmmaker and I film underwater in 360 degrees for immersive uh, marine educational exhibits. And we're hopefully, fingers crossed, going to be launching our first um, immersive exhibit out here locally in, in Los Angeles in April of next year. Wow. And I think we'll get to hear a little bit more about that as you share your story today. Yeah. So can you share with us um, what happened when your dad died? Yeah. And, and as I mentioned to you earlier, if I, you know, if I stop or I drift off a little bit, please prod me and push me along. So um, my dad and I were very close. Um, my, my dad was an ardent conservationist in South Africa when I was growing up, so I had the privilege of, of going to lots of game reserves and experiencing the, the incredible wildlife that they have to offer in South Africa on a very personal um, uh, basis. Um, and so I grew up with a love of nature that I was fostered by my dad. 
Um, I also spent a lot of time with him working on things, building things together, projects, fixing cars together, watching sports together. So I was very, very close with my dad. Um, and when I moved to the States to go to graduate school um, in uh, 2002, he moved to um, the Caribbean and then stayed in the Caribbean on a tiny little island called Bonaire for, for a good while. Um, I think it was until 2014. Um, and basically to be closer to me and my sister, my sister had moved to the UK as well. So there was no real family left back in South Africa. So he moved to the Caribbean. Uh, we'd go and visit him every year, my wife and I. Um, and then when he was coming up to be his actual retirement, um, age, uh, Bonaire wasn't a great fit for him. And he found Belize to be a good, uh, personal fit for him, um, because they, they have a lot of nature out there where he could find some relatively cheap land to go and build a house surrounded by nature and kind of live out his days surrounded by nature. That's what he wanted. He, he was more of a solitary person than a, a city loving person. Um, and so he moved out there in early January of 2018, uh, packed up all of his things, had a shipping container sent over with all of his lifelong belongings in it. Um, pretty simple man. He, he didn't have a lot of things. He wasn't really up on the latest gadgets or you know, expensive phones, any of that sort of stuff. Uh, he moved out there, spent, uh, struggled a little bit initially with, with that move and, and just settling in properly out there. And so by early February, when he'd been out there for a month, I kind of felt like it would probably be helpful if I went over to help him settle in a little more. So I flew over, spent a week with him, doing some projects on his new home that he was trying to finish up so that he could properly move in there instead of living in a hotel. And um, we did that for a week and it was great. And I think that really helped him go, okay, this is going to be okay. It, you know, it, it might be tough for a few months, but once I got my, my life going out here and the house built, then I, I can settle in properly. Um, so I left in, in early February and then it was three months later when he, he literally had just finished painting the walls. Um, all of the work was done in the house. He'd, he'd had the house to himself for two days, his retirement home. And, uh, and he was murdered um, in, in cold blood in, in the middle of the day. Um, and obviously, that, you know, this will be a little bit difficult to talk about, but uh, it was for nothing, essentially. They, they stole some meaningless electronics from him, probably about $500 worth of junk. <laughs> um, and they stole his truck. Um, but then I think that probably the most difficult thing for me was that they set fire to his house, his wooden house with his body inside of it. Um, and, and it, you know, a wooden house just goes up in flames and burns really hot. Um, and so there was very little left to find of my dad when the fire department eventually did find human remains in the ashes. Um, and so there was a guy who was the, the main suspect um, who apparently then killed his accomplice a few days later and then was eventually caught after he murdered someone else, a potential witness, um, uh, about a couple of weeks later. And he was in, remanded in prison for that murder. But to this day, no one has ever been charged for my dad's murder at all. Um, and, and we've not really pursued anything because it's just A, too painful and B, too difficult to pursue internationally. So, so that's kind of a, 
a high level. <laughs> wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us and um, an absolutely painful and devastating loss. What do you remember about that type of a sudden loss and hearing about your dad's death and those really early days? What do you remember? Yeah, so first and foremost was just the, the I mean, various layers of shock. Um, the, first, the immediate one, I, I was initially, I was at a business meeting up in Seattle um, when I got the news and I, w- I just gotten back to the airport at Seattle to fly down home back to Los Angeles. Um, and I had a missed call from a Belize number and it wasn't my dad's number. So that was a bit odd already when I was just walking into the airport. I was walking in with a colleague and I said, you go ahead, I'll, I'll meet you through security. Um, and so I stood outside the airport doors, tried to call my, my dad's number, just got no reply. He had two numbers at the time because he, he was still transitioning between the two. So I called the other number, no reply. And the back of my mind started getting a bit like, hmm, maybe something's a bit odd. So I called the other number back up, the one that had called me, um, and a lady answered, and she was pretty beside herself when she heard that it was me, and she was like, oh, we've been trying to get hold of you, and there was, there's been a massive fire, and, and then the line went dead, and <laughs> because it's wow. you know essentially a third world country, and the phone systems are not great out there, the Wi-Fi and stuff, so... So I immediately just had this horrendous thought of what has happened. Um, still you know, hoping that it, maybe it's just fire at my dad's house and they're trying to get hold of me. Um, and then called her back and she was still very frantic and very, it was very hard for me to get the news out of her because she was, I don't think she knew how to tell me. <laughs> but eventually she said, there's been a fire, there's been a fire and they, they found the body and they think it's your dad the end of it and I just remember that that the immediate feeling was just complete everything felt like it just time slowed down to an absolute crawl it felt like I was living in slow motion negatively <laughs> for that moment everything was just a blur I I was sitting I was in a full business suit with a you know a business suitcase and I, I literally sat down on the floor inside of the airport um, because I felt like I was going to fall over yeah. Um, and I didn't care what people thought. And I just, I, I just sat um, and put my head in my hands and, um, and people were just walking around me. That was one of the odd things that I still think about to this day is how many people just think you're crazy or you're weird. And they just, nobody's like, are you okay? Do you need help? People <laughs> just think, think you're odd or you're drunk or something like that. But, um, but in that, in that moment, that, that in immediate shock was just overwhelming whole body, um, intense shock um, and then I you know processed what I needed to do and that was to get down to Belize as quickly as I could so I went over to the ticket counter got my you know told them I need to get to LA quicker than than I was going to I told them why I said I've just heard my father's been murdered and they were very helpful there they got me on an earlier flight down got me booked on a flight down to Belize as well um, and that was you know probably three o'clock in the afternoon I was down in Belize by the next morning, um, first first thing the next morning to go and in, into the local police station. Um, but I think that that shock or l- levels, degrees of that shock remained for 
weeks, maybe a month afterwards to different mm -hmm. degrees. I remember there were times I was coming to have a therapy session with you and, you know, I think maybe two weeks after where I only realized when I was halfway through driving there that I'd gone way past your place where I'd usually turn. I was just driving in a, in a daze. I was, you know, zoned out. I think I'd, you know, I, there was another time where I realized that I drove through a red light. I'd stopped at a red light and then just absentmindedly just started driving. It was only halfway through the intersection. I was like, oh, I'm driving through a red light. Hmm. So, you know, the, the immediate feeling and the biggest feeling was that sense of that complete shock and just not being myself, not, not being as mentally competent as I usually am. I like to think I'm pretty sharp and on top of things. When you went to Belize, how did you, we never get to say goodbye. That's one of the things about a sudden death. Did you do anything to connect with your dad when you actually went to the site? Um, I happen to know you went there a couple times. Um, over some of those trips, is there anything you did to say goodbye to dad or to find a way to connect with him? Yeah, I, I mean, and, and uh, you know, I, I guess I should preempt it by saying, you know, I'm thankful for the time that I spent with you like that. One of the first things I did after learning about this with my dad before I even flew out there for the first trip was sought help um, from you, a someone who's you know, experienced with traumatic loss. Um, and that really helped mentally prepare me for experiences, for things that were going to come up, for things that would trigger me and those kind of things. So having that preparation, even for something as daunting as making an international trip to go and visit the site of your dad completely burnt to the ground pile of ashes home that his body was found in was was extremely helpful um, and kind of helped me prepare a bit for that even with that a lot of the there, there was a lot of just complete autopilot and i remember that was another feeling i had that i remembered like how amazing our brains are that they also compartmentalize and shut things off from self-preservation <laughs> say you've got to just deal with this like you can't think about the details it won't let you because it's too horrific to even think about in my case um but one of the things that i, I did do a couple of things one was I, I actually stayed at a hotel where my dad had stayed when he first moved out before he could move in where the owner of that hotel was kind of like his only real friend out there and so as hard as it was every night I would get to talk to this guy about my dad and he would tell me stories about, you know, how my dad had been while he was out there. And I got affirmation and, and you know, confirmation about how nice the person my dad was that, you know, uh, so that was helpful. And oddly my dad had had some seeds for trees sent to him at this hotel address because he still didn't have an address before everything happened and this guy had this package for my dad and it was these seeds that my dad wanted to grow and so that was a I got to take some of those even though you're not supposed to cross international borders with them I figured in this instance it would be okay <laughs> and um and so I got to bring you know these seeds for this tree that my dad loves home with me um and so trying to connect a bit with my dad that way with someone locally where this horrible thing happened but hearing nice stories about my dad helped but then he, he actually, this guy accompanied me to my dad's uh, property where it was literally just a pile of ash and twisted metal. Um, 
but having visited it previously and when I'd been there three months before, I knew the floor plan and the layout. So I kind of, I knew where I needed to go, um, to where my dad's body was found. Um, and I could see the coils of what was the couch previously still there, but I, I laid, um, uh, uh, a small thing of flowers down for my sister in the UK who'd asked me to put some flowers there for her. Um, my wife, uh, my dad and I used to play cards a lot together. Um, and he was very close to my wife. Um, and she asked him to, to put down some playing cards there to just, you know, represent our special time we'd spent together. Um, and my dad and I used to enjoy a beer together of watching sports, fixing cars, playing darts, those kind of things. And, um, so I took two beers and I sat and had one and, uh, left one there for my dad. So that was my way of saying, saying goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to give you a minute here. How are you yeah, doing? Yeah, it works. <laughs> Good. It's, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard. I've always will. Of course. Of course. Tell me about how your grief has changed over time. You just described a really painful period right after your dad's death. You went back to Belize. You're saying goodbye. It's now been close to four years. Yeah, four and a half now. Yeah. Walk us through how your grief has been evolving over these four years? Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that's, that's changed is that now, instead of the early on, it was, I, I couldn't, I struggled to think about it, to think about exactly what happened, because then I would just get lost in it. I would just, it, it would be all consuming again um, to deal with. Um, and I wouldn't say I compartmentalized it and pushed it away. I didn't because I went to counseling and, and uh, you know, had therapy sessions with you that really helped that those were my times where I would talk about it. But if I let myself think about it all the time, I would just be a mess and lost in it and, and not be able to be productive in any way, shape or form, either with my professional duties or my family or anything like that. So the difference now is that when I think about it and, you know, going through the process of, of preparing and thing, men, you know, mentally preparing for this discussion is that it's, it's always going to be sad. And it's it, now the overwhelming feeling is just sadness. It's just very, it's difficult. It's still difficult to talk about to some degree, but I'm able to, you know, talk about it um, to, to you, to other people who ask about it without it being all consuming, that it doesn't ruin me, that I, uh, I'm just lost <laughs> in that moment. And then I can't continue a conversation with people. I can, I can say to people, this, this thing happened. Um, that was difficult and it's, you know, changed who I am as a person, I think in some good ways and, and other ways, but, um, it's just a different kind of grief now. It's not that, that all consuming one. And I, I think this year, so say four years on, on his anniversary is probably the first year where I didn't immediately on the day when I woke up on his anniversary, think, oh yeah, this was the day dad died and it was maybe a couple of hours or mid-morning but when I was like oh yeah wait it's dad's anniversary today which I took as being kind of a good sign not that I'm forgetting it but that it's not 
you know, defining me. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that this experience and grief has changed you and maybe in some good ways. Can you say more about that? Yeah, there's this. Well, one of them, I think, is and I'm, I, I, I definitely still suffer from what I'm going to say. A lot of people do like so when I said I was sitting on the floor in the airport and people were walking by me. Now, I like to think that I maybe have a little more empathy for people who are doing what I would otherwise think of as frustrating or strange things that might be interfering with my life at that time, trying to get through a busy airport, that I, I may be a little better at trying to give them the benefit of the doubt that something's going on that we don't know and how, just generally trying to have a bit more empathy that you have. We need, None of us have any idea what anyone else is going through at any given time. So instead of thinking that someone's doing something to frustrate us and looking inwardly, try and be a little more empathetic that uh, we just don't know. And they could be going through something as dramatic as what, what I went through um, and just give them, give people the benefit of the doubt for something like that. Um, I think one of the other things, which isn't necessarily a, a personal trait, but something that, that I learned from this that I think would be, is valuable for anybody is, is, and especially for parents is, is to, if you have kids, write a, write a will, even if it's a simple one, and just help whoever's going to have to deal with your loss, whenever that may be, traumatic or otherwise, or expected or otherwise, uh, you'll take a huge burden off of them if that stuff is all taken care of. They're going to be grieving their loss to have to deal with a lot of other additional things afterwards. It's a lot to, to ask. So, so, you know, try and have that stuff in order. Fortunately, my dad's was pretty in order and um, it was already difficult because of the international element to it and, and dealing with all of that sort of stuff. But I think, I think having some forethought and, and, and planning for your own eventual uh, demise is probably, is probably something that you can, you can help some other people out with quite a bit. Um, and, and one of the other things that my dad actually did do um, was he wrote this um, maybe four or five page history of, his own life, like a little memoir from his earliest memories uh, all the way through to right before he moved to Belize that he left with my mom, who he was estranged from. Um, and I got that, you know, she, she passed that on to me later. And it was this, this really awesome as a child, uh, like time capsule thing to read who my dad really was. I got this completely different insight into who he was the challenges he faced when he was growing up, when he was my age. Um, and so it's really encouraged me to try and do something like that for my son. I have a six-year-old son now, Jack, um, and to do something like that for them. And it, and it also made me think to encourage people to ask questions of your parents, figure out, find out who they are. Don't wait until it's too late to get a time capsule if they've written one for you. Ask questions, figure out who they are while they're alive, while you, while you can cherish them. Um, and then on the other side, as a parent, maybe write something like this for your kids, because it is a really cool way of, of giving them some insight into who you are once, once you're gone. That's just amazing advice all around. Um, you mentioned your son, Jack, I believe he was around two when your dad died. Yeah. How did you, um, talk with your son about, um, his grandfather's death and how, or what have you done to keep that connection about your father alive um, for Jack? Yeah. Um, 
So first and foremost is, um, well, so the, the first one for me is, is just trying to talk about him fairly regularly and to keep that connection alive as, as you know, small as it was that he had. Um, I, you know, even though my dad lived internationally, we had, we had flown over to go and visit him in the Caribbean once um, with Jack. He was still too small. He was like 14 months old, I think. My dad had come out here right after Jack was born. So there are photos of my dad holding Jack um, when he was a, you know, a newborn. Um, and then when he was about you know, a year and a few months. Um, so they, they had a couple of moments, which is better than none, I guess. Um, and, and he would, they would speak on speak on Skype, you know, as, as much as a two-year-old could do at the time. But my dad would see him and hear about him all the time. So there was absolutely a small relationship there. Um, but that is probably the hardest thing about this entire process for me is just, and it was on day one. I think that was one of the first thoughts that went through my head was, oh my God, Jack's never going to know his granddad. And that just tore my heart apart. <laughs> um, and it still does to this day where I'm just like, it, you know, I, I wish that he would be able to have some uh, some meaningful time with my with my dad to have memories of him of his own, but he will just never have memories of him other than things that I say. Um, but that said, we we try and talk him about him a lot, um, and 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 you know one of the big connection points that I had with my dad was our combined love for music or or joint love for music. My dad used to be a DJ back in in the day in London. I, that was one of my big hobbies and, and passions was DJing different music, house music out here. But so Jack sees me playing music a whole bunch and he asks about my dad's music and whatnot. Um, so he hears about um, Granddad a lot. Um, he's still too young to know or to be told the, you know, the details of what happened, but he is of the age now where he's, he's asking, he's, you know, saying so. Well, how did Grant die? And you know, at this point, I just say, well, he he was old, which he was relatively. He was seventeen, <laughs> you know, seventy-two. Um, still, you know, still had plenty of time ahead of him. But, um, but I, you know, I say that, and I say, oh, you know, I will definitely tell you when you when you're a bit older. Um, so, uh, um, the other thing that I I also try to do is. I think one of the, the one of the gifts that my 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 dad gave me was that he um, he passed on a lot of his knowledge on building things, on being handy around the home, electronics, plumbing, fixing cars, construction, those kind of things. Those are things that we bonded over. And now I find myself in those same situations with a, a now six-year-old boy around the house and. Um, when COVID struck and I was trying to do the remote learning for a preschooler and it was just going very, very poorly where <laughs> I could only get him to write his name so many times and write the numbers from one to 10 so many times before both of us were ready to, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> do each other's heads in. He, you know, I said, no, this is not working. We're going to learn how to count by doing things outside and so I took them outside and we did it by counting the number of nuts on the wheels and then and we put the car up on blocks and I showed him how to do an oil change and we counted things while we we're doing all of those sorts of things and we bonded over that and I always talk about my dad when we're doing those things 
Um, and so I, I hope that passing down those experiences and that knowledge the way that my dad did to me is another way of keeping his spirit alive with us. Um, and then I think one of, one of the other things that you suggested, which I thought was a really cool um, tool for, for me early on, was you recommended the book called The Invisible Strength mm -hmm. that we still have here and we still read every now and then. It was very hard for me to read it with Jack when he was right, not right after, but, you know, a few months after everything had happened with my dad. That was still very difficult. Um, but we still revisit it every now and then. And, and he knows that that's the book that we will talk about granddad at some point when, when we read that. That's great. So I do want to ask you one question. Um, you were going through some um, thoughts about your career. Um, and it seems to me, if I remember, um, you made some career changes and it may have been that your dad's death influenced that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was formerly working as an environmental consultant. Um, it was a job I was good at. I had upward mobility. I'd, I'd moved up very quickly in the, in a company, like a medium sized company, um, with a good salary and, you know, very safe, secure position. Um, but I always knew it wasn't my passion. I was doing it because I could, and, and it was the easy path at that time. It's what I'd fallen into and I was doing. But there was definitely something missing. And, and those were my last conversations with my dad. Literally the last conversation I had with him the night before he was murdered was, um, I, I, I think I'm going to you know, leave this job and try and focus on my passion, which is the ocean. Um, marine education stuff. And, you know, my dad had always, um, even though he worked as a professor teaching medical students, his research focus was always on sharks, cheetahs, um, nature, essentially. Um, and so I had that that common passion for for nature, and and so I want I knew I wanted to do something along those lines. Um, and and that last conversation when I said that to him uh, I wanted to, he, he was like just make sure it's the right time you know for you and for your family that you know that just make sure it's the right time and then it, it oddly in the you know after everything happened with my dad it kind of made it the right time because it made me feel like if I just wait to make this career change for another 10 years killing myself at a job that I can I'm good at but I don't love um, it's going to destroy my soul. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I didn't want that to be the example that I set for my son either. So part of it was it's okay to chase your dreams sometimes in life and chase your passion. Um, even if there's the risk of failure, um, you will learn something from it and you will readjust and you will make something work. Um, and it's better to do that than to never take a risk and to never put yourself out there. And so now my job, you know, I'm essentially filming underwater and, and creating these marine immersive exhibits. And I absolutely feel connection to my dad quite a bit through doing that. Um, we even scattered some of his ashes at a site in the Caribbean where he was living before and on a coral reef. So oftentimes, even if I'm nowhere near that dive site, Often when I'm underwater, I have this mental connection to my dad at, at times where I'm just like, you know, I feel like he's there. Like we've put a part of him in the ocean and 
he's he's there with me while I'm doing that. So that's great. So as we kind of wind down, what advice would you give to individuals who are in those shoes that you felt on the day of the airport when their world is just crashing down? And um, I'm sure in the beginning you remember that pain and it's just like, oh my gosh, things are never going to get better. Um, And everything is so dark. What would you say? Well, to that point, things will get better. Might take a while, um, but they will get better. Um, at, at least I think they will if you, you're open to seeking help, and, uh, however you need to do that. But for me, that was seeking professional help because people such as yourself know how to prepare you mentally for things that are probably going to come up. Um, and just be prepared for triggers for you're you're a couple of weeks out from your dad's birthday. You're a couple of weeks out from Christmas. Have you thought about how that might be with your young son? You know, is there something you can do at Christmas time that you guys used to do with, you know, your dad that you can implement as a ritual in your new life with your son to remind them? Um, those kind of things are all invaluable. But when you're going through that darkest point, I think it's, you know, it sounds sounds hollow but it will it will get better it absolutely will um but definitely try to talk to a professional about about what you're going through and don't bottle it up inside um the other thing is i would say is to be kind to yourself i know that from my perspective i every now and then i would beat myself up that i i was not being productive enough in my, you know, my old job at the time, or even being able to mentally try to re-engage with my old job at that time, um, and feeling like that was somehow, you know, my fault or something, <laughs> uh, rather than accepting that what you're going through is an intensely traumatic thing that you need to deal with before you can have, go back to what, what you would call a normal life again. Uh, you need to deal with that, otherwise you, you'll, you'll you'll probably never properly come out of it. So seek that help so you can get through, and then it will absolutely be better. Um, but be kind to yourself in that process. You're not a superhuman, and talking to people is not a sign of weakness. Um, I guess the other one is also just grieve the way you want to grieve. Um, because uh, we're all different. And I think, you know, one of the things that I did, some some people just want to completely shut off and not say anything to anybody. But for me, I, I went on social media and I posted a thing where I, I explained because a few people had asked me, some people had heard, and I, you just, especially with something at, like what happened with my dad, you don't want rumors going around. And you don't want, I especially didn't want there to be any sort of, um, incorrect statements being made about what happened and you know rumors and hearsay and all that stuff so i really wanted it to just be open this is what happened to my dad this is the story it is what it is Uh, my family and i need space to move on and so i posted you know about that Um, and my dad had a small social media facebook you know group of friends and stuff but that that helped them learn the news and 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 subsequently reach out to me and and it turned into a positive because then a lot of his old work colleagues got in touch and I got 
kind of flooded with his old students who so many medical students whose lives he changed by teaching them that are now doctors working around the world healing people mm. um, and finding out that they then turned a, a lab at his, his the last school he was working at into a Bruce Davidson Memorial Lab and all these kind of touching tributes that then came through that way. So for while some people may say, don't post things on social media, for me, it was actually very healing to do so. And I got to meet people who I otherwise wouldn't even have known my dad, you know, interacted with regularly. And so it, it was actually really helpful for me to do that and also to tell my story to people and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. So, so that if you bump into me on the street and I seem a bit standoffish, maybe you'll understand why that I'm not being rude. I'm not being impolite. I'm just, I'm going through some things. That's great advice. Is there anything else I didn't ask you that you would like to share today? I don't, I don't think so. I think, but I do think talking to people who knew your, your, deceased loved one is is really helpful and it really helped my healing was hearing about other people because I learned so much about my dad's other life that hmm. you forget that they have their own life that it's not just you and your family there's all these other people so so being able to talk to them about who my dad was and finding out all these other small quirks and things was really really cool so that that helped that helped me reinforced to me what a great guy he was and helped that that healing process to some degree that it, having more positive stories instead of focusing on just the negative and the pain and the, the grief side of things helps push you along a little more yeah. oh and one other one my I, I almost missed the the best thing i ever did for this was i, I mentioned earlier my dad and i bonded over music the best thing I did was made a Spotify playlist of all of the songs I could remember that my dad would listen to from when I was such a young child, where he'd play them over and over again, singing at the top of his lungs. Um, even songs I cannot stand to say. <laughs> um, and I've, I've probably, I think it's about five hours long now, this Spotify playlist. I asked my sister to add the ones that she remembered that I was missing. And it's this awesome, cool playlist now that on at all of his anniversaries, his, his birthday, the, his his uh, death day, we we put that on and it just plays around our house the whole day. So Jack hears it and he's taken some of those songs and put them on his six-year-old playlist now that he has these songs that resonated with him and granddad now too. So that was is a really cool way of having a moment with that person and just listening to their tastes in music. Um, and having that around for a day, it's really helpful, even if it's just on in the background. But. Great. I can't thank you so much for your vulnerability, your honesty, um, your advice, your openness. Um, it's just my hope that by bringing people on who share their stories, their insight, their pain, that it helps other people. Um, a sudden unexpected death is such a unique experience and having a community and a place for people to come and listen to the stories of others, I'm hoping will provide a healing environment. So thank you so much for contributing Absolutely. to this today. Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm happy to have contributed. So thank you so much for your time.
There were so many things about Mark's story that touched me. First is the intergenerational connection that Mark is striving to keep between his grandfather or his father and his son. Mark talked about the things that his father taught him that he wants to pass on to his son, including their love for music and nature. Mark also wants his son to remain connected to his grandfather in some manner despite his absence. Mark was also able to identify the ways in which his grief has changed him in a positive manner, most notably in his capacity for his increased empathy. I can just imagine him sitting in the airport after learning about his father's death, collapsed in pain and people walking by and turning their heads. He talked about this, his new awareness for others in painful situations and being willing to do something differently when someone is in need. We never know the story of the stranger who's sitting next to us. If you want an opportunity to connect with Mark, please join our Facebook group talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. Mark has posted a picture of his father, a picture of an underwater scene, a tattoo he has on his arm in memory of his dad, a playlist of songs about his dad, and some information about his immersive marine education program. You can learn more about the Facebook group in our show notes. Next week, we're going to have an extra podcast episode on Wednesday, November 16th. I'm excited to share Corinne Crabtree, the founder of No BS Weight Loss Program. I'm excited that you're going to be able to hear her podcast, where I was the guest, and we talked about the difficulties associated with grief around the holidays. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. For help with a sudden and unexpected loss, sign up for my free mini course where I will teach you about the three truths about living with an unexpected and sudden death. Please visit my website from grieftogrowth.com to sign up. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For help with a sudden and unexpected loss, sign up for my free mini course where I will teach you the three truths about living with a sudden and unexpected loss. Please visit www.fromgrieftogrowth.com to sign up.